Welcome to the Nova Church's podcast. We are a vibrant, dynamic, multicultural church in Alexandria, Virginia. Join us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. For more information, go to www.thenovachurch.com. We're excited to share this week's message with you. God bless. wants to take us to a new level. And so 1 Samuel one twenty six, the Bible says, And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying. Everybody say praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition. Everybody say petition. That I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Amen. Uh, turn around to two or three people and tell them, follow along with pastor. And you may be seated. That's going to be the official title of today. Just hopefully follow along. Amen. Amen. As uh, We're going to have a unique one. I'm going to encourage you to take notes today as... Uh, as we're going to see how this goes, and uh, I'm excited today. Let me see if I can recap a little bit about where we are. Now, I hope that you're uh, taking notes as we're going to try to uh, intertwine some of last week's teaching and be thematic as this week's Mother's Day sermon, and uh, we'll see how how fine of a line pastor can balance these two uh, things as they're uh, moving and, and uh, intertwined together. But last week I talked about the tabernacle plan and the power of praying through the tabernacle. And uh, the tabernacle plan was ultimately, uh, we got through about half of the tabernacle plan as we talked about uh, going in through the gates and we talked about uh, getting into the outer courts and we talked about the power of the altar and the brazen altar and, and the altar is very, very powerful because the brazen altar, just to recap, is a place where you, you had sin, you had to come to the altar and, and you would uh, have a sin, uh, a sacrifice there that would be an atonement for our sin. But not only was it just a place of sin offering, oftentimes people forget this, that that altar in the outer courts that altar also had very much significance for a worship offering or a peace offering. There was a, a lots of different types of offerings that also could happen on that altar. It wasn't just, oh, you're at the altar, you must be sinning. There was a lot of times that you could come into that altar. And then there was the laver of water. And we talked about how you can pray each of these steps to get into the presence of God. So... Um, I want to see if I can kind of walk this fine line about the power of a praying mother with the power of praying through the tabernacle plan and how those uh, do relate in a parallel path to where we are in our prayer lives. Somebody say amen. So let's see if we can dive through this together. And I've got a lot to cover, um, and I don't know if I'm going to have all the time to do it. So let's dive in. So on the screen... 
Here's where we stopped last week. What we find is, is there's there are two different places. There's the holy place, and then there's the holy of holies. And, and it's a really fascinating dynamic. And I put this visual, and I thought this was the best picture that clearly kind of demonstrates the difference. Now, remember, uh, to recap, in the outer courts, anybody could come to the outer courts. In fact, everybody was required at some point to come to the outer courts. You should come to the outer courts, and that's where you would do the, the brazen altar. That's where you would go to the, uh, the laver of water. But no, uh, not just anybody could enter into the holy place. Only the priest of Aaron, the Levites, could step forth past the outer courts into this area right here. Now, the holy place, I know that you all are theologians and you probably know all about all the instruments of the tabernacle. And so I'm not going to go too much in depth there, but I do want to point out some very significant things from probably a, a macro level that I think is significant to what relates to our lives. Somebody say, go on, pastor. Amen. So, Watch this. When we talk about this, now the priest would go inside the holy place. And there is a beauty of the holy place because the priest would step inside this holy place. And when he would step inside, you've seen that there was three different instruments inside the holy place. And their first one is, is when the priest would go in, the outer courts was significant of, of what they would find as, as sacrifice and a sin offering. But the holy place was a, a place of worship. It was a place where you would connect with God. It was a place where you would commune with God. And remember, the whole point of the tabernacle, and if you're curious, say, where is this in the Bible? Exodus 25, that's the chapter, all the way through chapters 40. There's 14 chapters of the tabernacle. And you find that they're talking about this over and over. But remember, when he steps into this place, it's a place of worship and it's a place to commune with God. And the reason that the tabernacle is there is if you read in Exodus chapter 25 and chapter 26, the very thing that the Lord says is, hey, not only have I brought my people out of Egypt, but I'm going to dwell among them. Not only am I going to dwell among them, he said, I'm going to live among them. Now remember, this is very significant. There's a power in this premise because God says, not only am I going to dwell among my people, he said, but I'm going to dwell among you everywhere you go. But there's only one place I am. Unlike other religions that were polytheistic, they could go to a lot of places. It was convenient for them. In fact, that convenience was an opportunity for them to say, hey, I don't want to go to one temple to worship one God. Maybe I just want to go over here. Make me a, something convenient right down the street. Make me something right in my neighborhood so I don't have to get on a horse and travel 30 or 40 miles to go worship the Lord, right? They didn't want to do that. So convenience was always a big pull but here we find that the children of Israel when they're in the tabernacle God says hey I'm going to dwell among my people now remember the tabernacle went with them everywhere they went when they're sojourning in the wilderness when they're moving from wilderness and all around what we understand is wherever they would go when they were following the Lord when they would stop the tabernacle was the center of everything it was the epicenter of all in fact 
once the tabernacle was set, then the tribes of Israel would align in specific order and pattern around the tabernacle of how the Lord told them to do this. And God is so specific. If you've got your Bibles open to Exodus 25 and you will see some of these fascinating things that the Lord says, no, it's got to be made exactly this way. And the Bible says that he, you should make it after this pattern. In other words, don't change, don't innovate. It's got to be done exactly this way if you want me to dwell among my people. Let me just tell you, sometimes if you want to get into the presence of God, we've got to do it his way. And we've got to go through a certain path and process to get into the presence of God. You can't just do whatever you want. Say, okay, God, I'm ready to just step forth and I'll just jump over here into the Holy of Holies. And here we are. It doesn't work like that, right? And so when the priest steps forward to worship on behalf of the people, he steps in and you find the first thing that he sees to the left is the golden candlestick. And if you're writing this down, and again, if you don't have pen and paper, write it down in your phone. Take notes because I want you to pray these prayers while you're doing this. But remember, when you step in, after you've repented of God, after you've read the word of God, you see the golden candlestick. Now the golden candlestick, you could write in parentheses, is presence. It's the presence of God. It is an illumination, if you will. It's a symbol uh, that there was... Uh, the Lord is illuminating our life. Now get the picture. These curtains around there, there's no outside light allowed in to the holy place or into the holy of holies. There is nothing. There isn't no electricity. Thomas Edison wasn't around back then, right? 2500 uh, uh, BC. He's not hanging out there. This was long before the days of, hey, let's just turn up the lights. He said, no, no, there's no outside light. There's nothing that's going to penetrate into the holy place. Why? Because there's going to be nothing artificial. There's going to be nothing that's going to interact with God's presence. Hear me today. That's the same thing we can apply. You're not hearing me today. If you could grasp this concept that there's nothing artificial that can come into the presence of God. There's counterfeit people. And there's people that will try to counterfeit the presence of God and counterfeit the miraculous and counterfeit the word of God. But you can't counterfeit God's presence. You can't counterfeit God's power. You can't counterfeit worship. Somebody say amen. And the candlestick is an illumination. And the priest, when he would enter in, he couldn't go in just whenever he wanted to the holy place. But twice a day, the priest would enter in. Once in the morning and once in the evening. And what he would do is he would keep the lamp stand full of oil and he would trim the wicks. It was his responsibility to never let the fire go out. To never let the light dim. Let me say this today to the church. Is that we need to make sure that we never let our fire go out. Can I get a witness? Somebody. We need to make sure that we never let our light go dim to this world. The Bible says if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. We have a responsibility. The Lord gave it in the New Testament when he said go every one of you to go and preach the gospel to every creature. That is a commandment. 
that God said, don't let your light be hidden. Because if it's hid, it's hid to them that are lost. Hear me today. We can't survive without the fire of God. We can't survive without God's passion in our life. We don't need to just be lukewarm Christians. The Bible says be hot or be cold, but don't be lukewarm. What we need is a fire that burns that says, God, you're a consuming fire. You're a passion. God, I want to be more fired up for you today than what I was last week. Here's a word. We need to find a radical fire and intensity for our walk with God. Somebody say amen. And what we find is that the fire had to be trimmed and monitored daily. It survives and thrives by daily maintenance. In the morning and in the evening, the priest would go in. They did not miss it. They said every day we've got to tend to the oil. The oil is obviously significant in the Bible because it talks about the presence of God and the anointing of God. We find, and I don't got time to preach this, but I'm just going to throw this in here real quickly for those of you that know the Bible, that you know the, the parable that Jesus gives about the, the ten virgins. And he says there's five wise and they have full of oil and then there's five unwise and they don't have enough oil. The five wise, when the, the bridegroom comes, Jesus says they go with the bridegroom and the five unwise that don't have oil in their lamps because they haven't been tending it and they've neglected it and they've put it aside or they've procrastinated filling it back up. The five unwise, the Bible says is they do not make it and when they go and tell the wise, give us the oil from your lamps, the wise say, no, 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 go get your own oil. By the time the unwise people go get their oil, they come back and they knock on the door and the bridegroom says it's too late can I just give a warning to the church today we've got to be very intentional about getting the oil in our life about God getting your presence in my life I know we do it on Sunday mornings like this morning but what about on Tuesday what about on Thursday what about on Wednesday what about on Saturday morning the question is where's the oil in our life that's why we go before the Lord in prayer Daily devotion sustains the light. Therefore, when we are looking for prayers, and I'm trying to give you real examples of how to pray the candlestick. You need to pray for light. You need to pray for direction. You should pray the prayer, God, pray for my darkness. Give me understanding. God, show me my blind spots. God, pray for our life. God, we want to pray for the outpouring of the Spirit of God in the world. We want to pray that God would pour out His Spirit in our community. Can I get a witness today? Joel said, and it came to pass that in the last days I shall pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Can I get a witness, somebody? And that's why we've got to pray, God, let your Spirit be poured out. Pour out your spirit God on my job pour out your spirit God in our church pour out your spirit at Nova God pour out your spirit God in countries where there is no missionary pour out your spirit oh God that's the power of the candlestick everybody say candlestick so there's the candlestick but directly across from the candlestick if you're taking notes is the table of showbread the table and showbread if the candlestick represents this great opportunity of the presence of God, we find that the table of showbread is actually the provision of God. And this is where we find that the table is significant. In Exodus 25, 
23 through 30. If you're still looking in your Bible and you're curious, say, well, why would God be so specific? God was so specific about what materials to be used, what height it was to be used, what uh, the ornaments were, how the crown was. He gives such specific uh, directions in Exodus 25, 23 through 30. Look at what Moses is writing down of how to construct the table alone. And he says the table is there. But there's two actual parts when we consider this because there's the table and then there's the showbread the table is those who carry and lift up the bread and that's what we understand when we're praying we need to pray for those who are carrying the bread but we find that there's power in the showbread as well because the showbread it was replaced every week the showbread was so amazing because what it represents in our walk with God is how he sustains us and how he keeps us and how he will provide for us. Can I get a witness, somebody? When you're praying the tabernacle plan, what you can pray is, God, yeah, I believe that you're going to supply. God, I believe you're going to sustain. There was 12 loaves of bread that were on the table. And the 12 loaves represented each and every tribe. But here's what the amazing part is, is that the table was to Never be without bread. In fact, in your Bible, in the King James, it says, I believe in verse 30, always. It says, always keep it there. It was always there. It, what they would do is when they would come out and they would replace the showbread every week, they'd put new bread on. So there was always bread on the table. But pastor, isn't there a logistical problem with this? See, the tabernacle was mobile. So if the tabernacle's mobile, Joe, you're probably pondering, say, well, how could there always be bread if they're moving this thing from place to place for 40 years? They're moving this thing around. What? That's a long time. That's a long time for them to set up and tear down and, and to do the service of the Lord, right? That's a long time for them to construct this thing perfectly. But what we understand is even while moving the showbread and the tabernacle, the bread stayed on the table. The whole time, even when they moved it. How did they move it? Carefully. They wouldn't put the bread in and say, hey, we're going to throw this in a bag. We'll set it up when we get in the next place. Bless God, we're going to just throw these. Hey, you got those 12 loaves of Jimmy John bread? They're good bread. Hey, bring that, uh, bring that Italian bread over here. Let's just throw this here. No, no, they didn't, uh, they didn't innovate the recipe, and they didn't decide how they were going to move it because there always had to be bread on the table. Why? Because the Lord said, I'm always going to sustain. No matter what situation, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're facing, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the elements are outside, when it's raining or when it's hot or when it's cold, it doesn't matter what season is, there's always something sustaining you and it will always be the presence of God. And that's why Jesus said in John 6.35, if you're just reading the gospel, you can skip right over and say, oh, that's a cute analogy. But what you don't understand is Jesus says, when he says, I am the bread of life and he that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst what he's saying is is I am the bread that was in the tabernacle he said I'll always be there I'll always provide I'll always sustain can I get a witness y'all ain't ready for me to I'll always keep you no matter what you're facing no matter what you're going through no matter if you lose your job or no matter what your finances look like or no matter what your health like the Bible says he shall supply every need that's the power of the showbread, is we serve a God that can do anything no matter what we're facing. 
I said, I'm the bread. Mm, can I get a witness, somebody? That's good when you understand the power. See, you can skip right over this in Exodus 25. I said, oh, he's the bread. There's a showbread. No, no. What you don't understand is Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And I will always be there. It's so powerful. God will sustain us in every area. And so when we are praying, what's the prayer? If you're writing this down, say, well, how do I pray that, pastor? You need to pray the word. You should pray, God, lead me to scriptures to meet my needs. You ought to pray, God, give me my daily bread. God, you ought to pray for the table that holds the bread. That's the pastoral staff. You need to pray for your pastor. You need to pray for your church ministries. Why? That's the, that's the thing that's holding the bread up. The bread is that. It's the thing that's trying to pray for missionaries in this place. You need to pray for those that carry the provision about. You need to pray for the table. But then we find, let me hurry on. So the candlestick is the, the presence. And then the showbread here, we find that's the provision. But then right before you enter into the Holy of Holies, the priest would then go to the altar of incense. Now, I wish I had time to preach this, and I really, really, really want to, but I'm going to be very disciplined and stay to the Mother's Day sermon of Hannah. And so hang with me, but if you'll just let me just drop this. Can I just, can I just show you this? So, so I feel like this is going to be a blessing to you since you're in the mind of the tabernacle and you got the picture. You say, oh, show me more, Pastor, but watch this. The altar of incense is prayer. So you find that this is presence and this is provision. But after they go to those, then you go to prayer. And this is where people mix this up. Theology gets all, all, all screwy through this situation. People uh, uh, maneuver this and they don't grasp this. Because the altar of incense is found in Exodus chapter 30, 1 through 10. If you want to see it in your Bibles. The fire we find is there's two altars in the tabernacle. I know. What do you mean? Watch this. Remember the brazen altar out in the outer courts. Anybody could come to. But once you got into the holy place, there's an altar of incense. Now the altar of incense was fire from the brazen altar. The sacrifice of the sin offering was brought into the holy place. And then used here at the altar of incense. And when the coals and fire met with the burning of incense and the rare spices, it produced an aroma. And the aroma said, hey, there's something powerful in this. It's a, it's a worship moment. It's a, a petition moment. It's an opportunity where you can come before the Lord. See, that's, that beautiful combination, of, it's not just the fire. And it's not just the things from the altar. But once that sacrifice was met with the, with the spices. And you couldn't just use the, the combination of spices. And, and it could never be used except in the holy place for worship. Catch this. It was here that the sacrifice of praise from a person whose sins were forgiven in accordance with the law. By the blood was able to express love and worship. And as the smoke and the scent rose as a beautiful fragrance, so did the worship from his children. And that's when you come before the altar of incense and you begin to worship God and make petitions for him. So every day we find 
that as we would begin to intercede before God's throne for other people. It was at the altar of incense that people would begin to make these prayers. So watch this. The priest, he would, the, the, the altar, uh, the brazen altar, they'd make the sacrifice. He'd go to the laver of water, wash that off. And we do that by reading of the word of God. Then he'd come in and he'd do his duty and say, God, I've got to make sure your presence is here in the candlestick. And then he'd go over to the table of Shubert and make sure everything is fine. And then what he would do is he would step forward into the altar of incense and begin to worship where the first altars sacrifice and death we find that this altar is joy and petition and communion with God this is the place that every priest would go to twice a day because remember there was only one person that could ever step past this curtain the high priest even the priests could not step forth into the holy place, into the holy of holies. They could not go even further. So the priests would do all they could, and they'd get to that altar, and they'd start to pray. Pray for the people. Pray for provision. Pray for these things that God would happen. Now watch this. Here's the, here's the awesome part. Are you ready? When you talk about this, we know that the veil was torn that every one of us can enter into the presence of God. And when we follow the pattern in our prayer life, you don't need to wait for pastor to go to this. You don't need to wait for uh, uh, somebody in the pastoral team to do this. You can follow this step yourself to pray and to get into God's presence because he wants to do that in our lives. And when you would get there, you'd start to pray for the people. Now, now, now watch this. There's a story in Leviticus Chapter 10. And I'm going to summarize this. If you want the scripture, I'll give you the scripture. Uh, this is what we're going to call bonus content from pastor. Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. If you've got your Bibles, turn to that with me. Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. Watch this. I've messed this preaching up forever. I've preached all around the country preaching the wrong thing. And this week I realized, I was like, oh, hold up, dog. That's not right. That's why you ought to pray, God, open my eyes. Let me show you something. No, for real. Watch this. Read Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. I mixed up the altars. I always thought it was the outer court altar they messed up. It wasn't the outer court altar. What do you mean, pastor? Well, watch this. When you read Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, you find that there's these guys. They're Aaron's sons. Aaron's sons are who? They're Levites. They're priests which means they had access to places the other people didn't have. So when you talk about Nadab and Abihu, uh, you find that Nadab and Abihu, they are these priests, and I always thought they're in the outer courts, and they're sacrificing people's sins. And the Bible says that they use strange fire. But that's not actually what it's talking about. Because in verse 1, the Bible says, and the sons of Aaron took either of them in their center and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Verse 2, and there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, this is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh to me. Before all the people. And I will be glorified. And watch this. And Aaron held his peace. You know what I've preached forever? That you can't have strange fire on altars. Or God will destroy you. It's biblical. In fact, check this out. This is a Mother's Day sermon. 
but there's no mom mentioned. But if I could just throw this in for free, it has nothing to do with Mother's Day. But I know that. But since we're here, let's swim deeper. It's like what Dory said in Nemo. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Right? Watch this. Let's go a little further. Since I'm already out on a mess, let's go deeper. Watch this. What's the problem? Can you imagine? Aaron watches his sons die. And you know what Aaron, the Bible says? Aaron held his peace. Not God, how dare you? God, who do you think you are to take my son? Could you imagine if you're a parent that your two of your boys die and God kills them from fire? Hello? I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty upset. I'd be devastated. I'd be grieving. I'd be sorrowful. Wouldn't you be devastated in that moment? And the Bible says, and Aaron held his peace. Why? Aaron knew they were doing things at the altar of incense in a holy place. And he said, no, no, no. Instead of telling them what not to do, Aaron allowed it. And when he allowed them to offer strange fire, God struck them dead. Why? Easy. It's in verse 1. What does he say in verse 1? He says in verse 1, he said, you're going to come to me. Or verse 3, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh to me before all the people, and I will be glorified. He said, you can't just do whatever you want and to come into the presence of God. He said, there's a power and a pattern, and that's where we have to understand is the pattern of God. And so when they step forth into the altar of incense, it should have been a place of worship and holiness and an opportunity to commune with God. Instead, they were just taking it haphazardly. And the Lord said, this isn't going to happen. We have to be careful today. When you're praying and getting to petition, you ought to pray and say, God, I'm here to worship you. I'm here to love you. I'm here to petition the needs. This is where you'll pray for your family. This is where you'll pray for your friends. So you pray for your group. This is where you'll pray for people right here in, the, in this. So what we find is, is then, then they step forth into the holy of holies. And this is the presence of God. This is where we find that there's things in the, the, uh, the holy of holies. And, and if you want to stay that out, go for it for the sake of time. I'm going to get to our, our sermon today. And, 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 but when you're praying these things, God, the, the, the candlestick, which is your presence, and the table, which is provision, and the altar of incense, which is prayer and petition. You have an opportunity to pray each of these things. So watch where we find in 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to summarize a lot of this if you want to follow with me. One of the great qualities of motherhood is protection. But Hannah demonstrates dedication. And when we pray, we see the active prayer life of Hannah come into play in 1 Samuel chapter 1. I think Hannah is a fascinating story that talks about the power of desperation. And we find that she's passionate and she is faithful to God. And the Bible says that Elkna, he has two wives. And one wife uh, was Penea, and Penea had children, but Hannah has no children. And Hannah is praying over and over. And, and we find that every year they would come to worship. Where would they go? They'd come to the tabernacle. They'd come to pray, and they would come to this opportunity to give sacrifices. And, and the Bible says in verse 
uh, 3 of 1 Samuel 1, their two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, and the priest of the Lord were there. And, and the problem is the priests were corrupt, and the priests were, were, were absolutely corrupt over and over. And if you study them, you will be shocked. It is like an R-rated movie, if you will. Somebody thinks uh, uh, some stuff on Netflix is bad. Oh, my word, read uh, Hophni and Phinehas. They are, they are, it's not PG-13, boys and girls. It was R-rated. The teenagers aren't in here, so I could maybe be a little more, uh, a little more straightforward with you. But, I mean, they're having sex in, in the church. They're having sex in, 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 in the outer courts, and they don't care. They're just, it's very perverse. And there's people, and they're like, what are you doing? Your sons, these priests, these, these corrupt sons of yours, Eli, your Hophni and Phinehas, where has this gone wrong? And, and Eli is a, is a man of God, and he is, he is not participating in those things, and he sitting there and we find that Hannah comes unto him and, and in, in verses uh, 6, 7, 8, and 9, we find that as they go year over year, she is weeping before God and she's praying before for God and, and she gets to a point that, that she's so fed up that she's no longer eating. She's fasting in verses 8 and 9. And as she's fasting, we find that Eli is sitting at this thing. And the Bible says in verse 10 of 1 Samuel 1 that she's bitter in her soul and she prays unto the Lord and she weeps sore. And she's so weeping and, and, and she's, so, she's in need as she wants to be a mother so bad. And, and she wants this desire to, 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 to fulfill what God has put inside her. And after a while, her desire causes drive. When we're talking about prayer today. We understand that desire was so great that it did not drive her away. But it pulled her towards more of what she desired. We need a desire for prayer in the house of God. We need a desire to be closer to God. I don't know about you today, but I want to be closer today than I am ever before. Can I get a witness, somebody? I don't know about you, but last night I was in prayer, and I was just sitting in my office and spending some time before the Lord, and, and I, I just put everything aside and just turned on some worship music and just was sitting there praying. I was praying, God, I just want more of you in my life, God. I just want more of you in my, I want more of your presence. I want to go deeper. I want to go into the holy of holies. I want to go, go to places of the unknown, right? And, and I think that we need a revival of a burden in the house of God. We need a burden today for lost and we need a burden for backsliders and, and we need burden bearers that will take up the mantle and pray for your church and pray for your family and pray for your marriage and, and pray for your friends and pray for, for people that are on their way to a lake of fire. What we need is a burden today. We need some prayer words to awaken that will pray at two in the morning. Say, Pastor, I don't know, but the Lord woke me out of sleep, and I just couldn't sleep anymore. And I got on my knees, and I just began to pray. God gave me a burden there to intercede. What we need is a burden. And her burden drove her to fast, and her burden drove her to pray longer. The Bible says that she wept bitterly, and we've got to get that type of burden that consumes us in prayer. That says, God, I've gone through the, the outer courts. I've gone through the altar. I've gone through the laver. I've gone through the, the, tabor, uh, to, through the candlestick and through the the table and, and God I've gone to the altar of incense but God I need to get to the holy of holies I need to cross that curtain and take another step into the presence of God and when I'm in the presence of God is when I can begin to commune with God somebody say amen and the Bible says in verse 11 that she vowed a vow 
and she prays a prayer to God, and she says this prayer. And if you're in verse 11 of 1 Samuel, she says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give you give thine handmaid a child, I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head, and it shall come to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth, and Hannah, when she was praying, she was praying in her heart, but her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard, and Eli thought that she was drunk. Look at the Bible, verse 14 and 15. Eli, get the picture. She's praying, and the pastor walks up and says, yo, why are you drunk in the house of God? What's going on? Eli, the man of God, rebukes her because his perception was not off. Now, you could have a whole bunch of things. Now, let me just pause this. This is always a great moment to say, sometimes the man of God is off. Can I get a witness, somebody? If everybody says amen, I won't be offended, right? Sometimes the pastor's off, right? He's a man of God. Eli makes a mistake here. And he comes and he says, why are you drunk in the house of God? Now, Eli had good intent. He just seen what he seen. He had all the information he had. He says, hey, why are you drunk in the house of God? But watch her response. She could have been offended. She could have got upset. She could have stomped out of it. Who does he think he is? I was praying before God. Here he is accusing me of being drunk, right? No, she doesn't do that. Instead, she answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Let's all stand this morning. What we need today is some people that will pour out their soul before God, that will get desperate before God, that will get a desire to touch the very presence of God. And out of that, she says, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken. And Eli says, go in peace. For the God of Israel grants you your petition that you've asked of him. There's two essential ingredients we find in the midst of a trial. In the midst of a desperate situation. First is this, faith. Everybody say faith. She didn't just weep because she was sad. She started believing by faith. She could have said, I'll believe it when I see it. Or God, I prayed my one prayer. Get the picture. She was traveling every year, miles and miles, to come to the tabernacle. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to go next Sunday to the tabernacle. She lived so far, she came once a year, and when she came, she prayed and sat. It wasn't a, well, it's, a, it's 11 in the morning, we're going to start, and by 1230, you're done, have a great day. No, no, no. She was sobbing in the presence of God to the point that Eli mistook her for drunk. What type of state does someone have to be in that they're praying that you think they're actually drunk? Hmm. That's a desperate prayer. That's an intercession. That's, that's a petition that goes deep. That's not just a, well, Lord, thank you, Jesus, and bless me today. Lord, you know what I want. Thanks, God. No, no, no. It's not that type of prayer, right? It was a prayer that says, God, I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to make a, I have a burden here. And she was praying and she had faith. But the second was that she demonstrated worship. There was a worship. 
Remember, that's the beauty of the altar of incense is I'm gonna try to tie these together right here. At the altar of incense, it's not just God my needs, but it's worship. See, the Holy of Holies is not a place of petition. It's a place of interaction and communion. You get rid of your needs there at the altar of incense. When you step forth into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, it's no longer about my needs. It's about God, I'm just here to listen and to commune and to interact and to meditate on the Lord. When you step into the Holy of Holies, that's the presence of God. That's where the Bible talks about that was his presence literally between the cherubims and, <clears throat> and, and near the mercy seat and, 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 and above that and in that beautiful place. It's in that presence right there. That's where you would interact with God. And when it came to pass, Hannah has a child and she comes and she honors her request. Eli says, go, God's heard your prayer. She comes back a year later. And if you look in verse 23 and 24, she now says, I'm gonna take the child and I'm gonna give this child to the work of God. She dedicates her kid. And not only does she dedicate her kid, it wasn't a cute type of dedication like we have, right? Here's a jar of pennies. Here's a Bible, read it, pray. Her dedication was I'm leaving my child at the temple and I will only see him one time a year when I come to pray and worship. What? Is anybody else shocked by that but me? The mama's in the house, can I get a witness? You've been praying for this for a decade. All the prayers, all the tears, all the sorrow. And you're telling me you're going to give the kid up? She vowed a vow to God. She said, no, I'm going to give this child back to him. Verse 28, therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. And as long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Could you imagine today that God answers your prayer and then you give it back up? Could it be that after you prayed and prayed and prayed and wanted for so long and desired for so long and finally the answer comes, the power of a praying mama. She said, God, you gave him to me. Now I'm giving him back to you. Now I dedicate this child back to you. Abraham Lincoln said, I remember my, pray my mother's prayers for they have always followed me and they've clung to me all my life. The thing we learn from Hannah today is God answers prayer concerning children. Today for our mothers, today for our parents, God will hear your prayers. And we should give our children to the Lord as he could use them as he sees fit. Now you know what's crazy about this? When you give to God, God will always give back to you. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive the Lord. What a bold move of Hannah. Hannah, you know what's fascinating is when you read all the stuff of mothers and all the great moms, I'm not downing them. Here's what I know. Hannah's one of the best moms that you ever see in the word of God. She's like the 
She's like the underrated mom of the year, right? She's amazing. She prays and then boom. But watch this. The Bible says that in verse 21, the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three more sons and two more daughters. And Samuel, the child, grew before the Lord. When you give to God, God does not add. He multiplies. She prayed and prayed and prayed by faith. God did not give her that promise. You give her to me. You give the boy to me, I'll give back to you. No, no, no. By faith, Hannah steps forward. And when Hannah said, God, you've trusted me. Radical generosity. God, now I give it back to you. God did not just add. He multiplied. With every head bowed and every eye closed. She gave her first fruits unto God. And God gave them five in return. Why? Because giving equals trusting. And when you trust God, when you trust God with everything in your life, including your children, I'm here today to tell you that God will give back to you. God will protect. God will multiply it over and over because you can't outgive God. Give and it shall be given. Mm, Press down, shaken together, and running over. Can I get a witness, somebody? When you begin to give to God and say, God, take my kid. God, take them out. You're giving it back to you. Lord, you've trusted me. Now I'm trusting you. The Lord will say, now that I know that you're a good steward, I'll bless you over and over and over. The power of a prayer is that, God, you gave it, and now I'm giving it back to you. Oh, today, I wonder if right now in your seats you could lift your hands and begin to give the Lord some prayer right now. I wonder if, God, you could say, God, I'm going to give this back to you. I wonder if God's saying, when will you give it to me? When will you give this back to me so I can be a blessing to the kingdom? When will you begin to say, God, I give you my hopes. I give you my dreams. I give you my desires. I give you what I want. And, God, I trust in you that, God, no matter what happens, there was no problem promise. There was no contract. There was no saying, I'll give you five if you give me one. But what we know that we know that we know is that God is faithful to his word, that God will supply our need. Why? Because he is the showbread. It's the table. He's provision. He sustains. He supplies. If you need something today from God, God can meet your need. God can give you peace in your situation. God can sustain you. He can heal your broken heart. He can heal your wounds. He can heal your scars. He can heal your unforgiveness. God can sustain. He can forgive. He can bless. He can give you a breakthrough today. God is a God that does not just add, but he multiplies today. And when you trust in him and you go through the pattern and the process, I'm here today to tell you that we serve a God that can do anything. We serve a God that can move. We serve a God that can maneuver. We serve a God that can supply every need. I wonder if you'd come down to this altar, if you have a need today. I wonder if you'd lift your hands. I wonder if our mothers would come down and pray. I wonder if our our family would come down to pray. And I wonder if you would pray and say, God, touch my kids today. God, touch my family today. I wonder if you need something from God, if you are in this state. I wonder if you would pray, God, I don't know what it is, but you gave me the promise. You're the bread. God, your presence is with me always in in the candlestick, God. Illuminate my life. Illuminate, God, what I need to see. Illuminate, God, where I am, where I'm going. 
Order my steps today. Direct my paths. I wonder if you would lift up your voice right now and pray through either the tabernacle or pray for your children. Pray that God would move them. Pray that God would give you a faith like Hannah's that would sustain and supply. Pray that God would give you a faith today that, God, I trust in you, that, God, you will give me every need, that, God, as I go through the candlestick, as I go through the table, as I get to the altar of incense, hear the petitions today. Hannah was in a place of petition, and then she said, oh, God, I'm here. I'm praying. I'm seeking. I'm desiring. I won't leave until I get this prayer. I won't leave until, God, you answer me. God, I will make war, God, on the floor. God, I will pray until something happens. God, I will continue to lift my voice and lift my heart and lift my needs, God, knowing that you're faithful. Hallelujah, Jesus. My petition's known. I can go. Oh, yes, God. To the holy of holies. And although I'm just God, give me fresh oil in my lamp today. Give me a fresh spirit, God. Give me a fresh touch of the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus, oh, God. I can go. I can go. I can see. I can find. Lord, I need. That's it. Why don't you spend a few moments and just lift up your voice? Get lost in his presence. Oh God, I praise you. I want to come before you. When you're past petition, move into the Holy of Holies. When you're past the holy place, move into the Holy of Holies. Oh God, touch us today. 